as uh, Susan was sharing, uh, starting <clears throat> next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to follow uh, throughout the rest of this next year, at least through uh, October, uh, the weekly Torah readings. The rabbis started about the time of Ezra when they got back from Babylon and they said, look, this is not ever going to happen again. And so they came up with a system to study the first five books of the Bible every year. So they have a reading practice to read, to read and study <clears throat> the first five books. Uh, and so we're going to pick up with that. And it just so happens that, yes, uh, next week, uh, next Sabbath, uh, next Saturday, starts the weekly reading uh, in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 1. Uh, and so we're just going to pick up there. And we're going to follow along with that. We'll be able to tie in <clears throat> a lot of the New Testament. And also there are these other readings called the Haftorah. It's the extra readings that go along uh, with the Torah portion. The Torah is the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Torah means teaching and instruction is what it means. And so um, there are the other readings that go along with it that are from the writings and the prophecies uh, in uh, our Old Testament. So we'll be looking at those each week as well and a number of New Testament passages tying all this together. Because Jesus said, if you'd have believed Moses, you'd have believed me because they were all written about me. So that's what we're going to start doing and <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be Quick, I don't know how long we've been in Revelation. It's been a while. Yeah, we started the first part of June. By the end of October, we will have finished the book of Deuteronomy. So it'll be a real fast pace. There'll be big sections of Scripture that we'll look at, and we'll try to pull out some of the themes in those uh, passages. But anyhow, it'll also let you know exactly where we are, and you can read along during that week. We'll get that information to you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to retrieve them, open them up, turn them on, however you do that. <clears throat> we are at Revelation 22. Woohoo! We're at the last chapter, uh, the last chapter of our Bible. And um, we've spent, like we said, since June studying the book of Revelation, and we've covered a lot of territory, amen? Uh, we've been looking at the fact that uh, Yeshua is revealing all of this, He's revealing it to John to write it down for the churches, right? Which is what he said at the beginning. And it's a revelation of himself and how he's going to fulfill these fall feasts that we just finished with tabernacles. And he's going to fulfill the feast of trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles or, or booths. And... <clears throat> So um, this is at the end of all that. Now we're past the millennial kingdom. Uh, all the judgment stuff has already happened. And now we have the picture, if you will, of this new heaven and new earth and our dwelling with God. Isn't that, that's good news, right? And it really is amazing um, when you, you see how these issues or the whole, whole of Scripture is tied together. God doesn't do anything by accident. He does, I want to repeat that. God doesn't do anything 
by accident. He doesn't say anything by accident. He doesn't have any of the words in Scripture that are here just to fill space. Like you did in school, and you were blowing smoke and hoped your prof didn't catch it. Right? God doesn't blow smoke. They're all here for a reason. So let's pick this up in verse 1. We'll read down through this uh, chapter and then look at a few things in here that are just absolutely fascinating. Starting with verse 1 in Revelation 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from them the words, takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace 
of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And we pray that God would honor the reading of his word. Amen. Man, that's filled with some good stuff, right? So in here, we've got this picture of heaven, this new earth, this new heaven, the throne of God. Flowing from the throne of God is this river that's called the river of the water of life. Now, it says something else in verse 2. It says, through the middle, that this river was flowing through the middle of the street of the city. And it says, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and that the leaves were for the healing of the nations. Well, <clears throat> that just sounds a little odd, right? I mean, we've got a river flowing from the throne of God. It's the river of life. It brings life. Um, and it says that the tree of life is there. And as Susan has already started telling us, and we'll get into that here in a second, the tree of life and in the garden at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we have there not only the garden, but guess what else is there? A river. And it's watering the garden, meaning bringing life. So it's like our Bible has two bookends. Picturing the garden at the very beginning and picturing, if you will, the garden at the very end. At the very end, we have God on His throne dwelling with man. At the very beginning, we had God who was on His throne and was also dwelling with man in the garden and walking in the cool of the day, morning and evening with Adam and Eve face to face. In, the, in Revelation, we've got God dwelling with His people, and we're not even going to need the Son to light our way because God will be there because He is the source of light. And so it's that we need to remember that what God has been doing from the very beginning is getting us back into the garden. So, but there's this picture of the river, and it says on either side of the river is the tree that's yielding his fruit. Does that just sound a little odd? I mean, what, what is that, a, that the, the river's flowing through the tree? It says it's on either side. I pulled up another verse for you. This is one of those areas where if you run across something that just sounds really weird, start looking in different versions, different translations, and try to figure out what are the other ways that this was translated, or does everybody agree that this is the only way to translate it? Well, I pulled this one up in the New Jerusalem Bible, or if you have the old one, which is called the Jerusalem Bible, uh, this is how it reads, and I've, uh, I think that one's it. Yeah, it says, down the middle of the city, of the city street, on either bank of the river, there were trees of life, which bear 12 crops of fruit in a year, one each month, and the leaves of which are the cure for the nations. So as I was studying this and I'm looking at this, I'm going, yeah, because that's, that is just kind of weird. 
you know, you got the, the river flowing and it says it is the tree of life. Well, the word can be translated there. Some manuscripts have it in the plural, which actually makes more sense. And that in the final garden, because see, in the first garden, there wasn't Israel. There weren't the 12 tribes. Exactly. There was God, and He was the source of life. So there was one tree. But in the new heaven, there's what? There's the 12 foundations, 12 gates, 12 thrones. It goes on and on and on. All through, on all these prophecies, it always revolves around 12. Why? Because God said He's going to birth a nation. He's going to use them to prove that He is God. And in heaven, you got the 12 apostles, you got the 12 prophets, you got, I mean, the, the, the 12 tribes, and that their names of the 12 tribes are on the gates that are made of these single pearls. And in here it says, you'll have the right to take of the tree of life and also enter into the city through a gate. That's why Paul says we've been grafted into Israel. We haven't replaced Israel. So um, it's just absolutely fascinating. And so I tried to pull it. This was a, a picture that I found on the Internet. Uh, it kind of looks like a city. In other words, it's this water, uh, and it has this, it, it's in, got an embankment, if you will, on each side. Somebody's walking down it like they're walking on water. Maybe that's supposed to be Jesus. I don't know. Uh, with this tree in the middle of it. And I guess it could look like that, but... It says it also, it produces its fruit, imagine that, once a month, 12 times. And the picture is that it's different each time. So there's 12 kinds of fruit. And as Susan was sharing earlier when she read the passage there in Genesis, God sends one of his bad motor scooter, you know, cherubim angels, you know. Uh, you know, he's the Navy SEAL angel. And he's got these flaming swords spinning every which way to guard us from the tree of life so that we wouldn't eat it and stay in our sin. So he's, been, he's protected us from that because watch this. Some people want to say that this is just a metaphor. Well, if it was a metaphor, why did he have to send an angel to keep us from eating it? And if it's just a metaphor, why does God talk about it so many times in here that we're going to be given the privilege of taking of this tree of life and this also water of life? Why would he do that? If it's just a metaphor, I think it's real. Why would we think, why do we have this in our heads that in heaven everything is ghostly? That there's no real matter there. There's no real material things there. We're in another realm and we're just floating around and ghostly and, you know, things can pass through you and you can kind of see through people and all that Hollywood garbage. It's real. It's a real place with real matter. When Jesus was resurrected, what does he tell them? 
Stick your hand in here and see that it's really me. I have flesh and bone, and he eats with them. It didn't, you know, he wasn't like Casper the friendly ghost, you know, and it just fallen through him or something. He really ate it. It's, it's actual, it's a real thing. I don't believe it's, it's a metaphor. Um, so I've got a, a few other things that I want you to see. So I, I want you to notice also that, okay, it's this water of life. This becomes really, really important. Not only the, the water, but the, the tree, these two things together. They're, they're connected together. That's why it says that in the original, the original garden, there was this one river and it split up into four and it was watering the garden that God planted himself and put Adam and Eve in it to work it. The new heaven and new earth, God is creating himself. The new garden, he's creating it himself and doing what? putting his children in it to rule and reign with him in it. He's getting us back to that. So I want you to see something because this is absolutely fascinating. Don't you just love the word of God? And it's endless. Every time you pull a layer off and you think you've pulled a layer off figuring it out and figuring out God and you find out that what you're looking at and you're like, there's the core, there's the core. And all of a sudden you realize Oh, the core is bigger than what I thought the sphere was. <laughs> and you're like, how is that possible? Exactly. <laughs> um, it's just fascinating. Okay, so at the very, very beginning, we've got the garden. We've got the water of life. We've got this river flowing through it, gar- watering the garden. We've got the tree of life. Man sins because he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now watch this. This little side note. Sorry, I got things flying through my head. Satan tempts Eve by saying, God knows that when you eat this, you'll become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Was that a lie? No, it wasn't. Because when they ate it and God is talking to these other beings and he goes, look, they've become like us, knowing the difference between good and evil. That was true. You see, just because something is true doesn't mean it's something you should be doing. It can be a factual truth, but it can also kill you. You following that? So to keep us from being in that eternal state, God guards it. Then at the very end, he's giving us the privilege now that he's taken care of the sin issue and he's cleaned everything up. Now we can participate and actually eat of it. And I believe on a regular basis. And it will sustain our lives eternally. Pretty cool, huh? And this fruit will never be bad. Do you hate it when you buy that whole bag of fruit at Costco and you get down, you get home and the bottom half of it's bad because you didn't look close enough? I can't be the only one that's ever done that. This fruit will never go bad. So you've got this bookend on either end of the scripture and then in the middle, there's something about Jesus that's apt, he says, that is fascinating. So in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, 
Let him come to me and drink. Anyone who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now then, if that's not cool enough for you, because Jesus is saying constantly, he goes, come to me and out of your heart will flow these rivers of living water. Come to me if you're thirsty and I will give you living water. Come to me for this living water. And this is not the only place you find living water. That's a whole other thing. But what is fascinating is because in verse 37, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, guess which feast this was? Tabernacles. What is the book of Revelation about? Jesus fulfilling trumpets, day of atonement, tabernacles. This is at the end of the book in Revelation. And what we have here is the picture of the tree of life and this living water. Jesus says in his ministry, come to me. If you're thirsty and I'm going to give you this living water that's going to flow out of your heart. And he says it at tabernacles and he says it at the end of tabernacles. Here we are in Revelation, if you will, at the end of tabernacles. And being given what? Living water. Jesus if you go back and read that whole chapter, this is the story where his brothers go, you know what? You should go down to the feast. This is the big one. Yeah, everybody makes a big deal about Passover and all that, but look, tabernacles is nothing but sheer fun. I mean, it's God literally says, when you come, you come and worship me, and I am commanding you to be joyful. Because we're a bunch of sour pusses. <laughs> he goes, you're going to celebrate, and you're going to celebrate, and you're going to be happy about it. Once again, Zach did a great job last week. I don't know if it's up on the internet yet, but he just did a great job, really hit a home run. And about Jesus being born when? Tabernacles, and we can prove that from Scripture. He wasn't born on the 25th of December. He's born at Tabernacles. So here Jesus, at his birthday... At the end of tabernacles, it's saying, come to me and I'm going to give you living water. Folks, this was not just empty words. It is also prophetic that at the end of the real, the last tabernacle event, the real one, guess what you're going to get? Living water and living Fruit that's going to sustain your life forever that we kept you from eating in the garden because we didn't want you to stay that way forever. Can I get a hallelujah, amen, or something from somebody? That is some good news, right? Isn't that so cool? And so he says it at his birthday. This is the one where they're all going, you should go, you know, because nobody keeps it a secret. He's like, ah, I'm not, your time's always right. I'm going to go when, it's, when I know it's right. They used to always boggle my mind. What, what did he mean by that? What did he mean, your time is always right and I'm going to go on my own timing? And then he sneaks in 
because it's really an eight-day, it's a week-long, eight-day-long celebration. He sneaks in halfway and he starts teaching in the temple, in the middle of the feast. But then here it says that it was the last day, the great day. Because this is the day when they celebrate the giving of God's instruction. Simchat Torah is what it's called. It's the, it's the celebration that God gave his teaching and instruction to his people to show them this is how you live. This is the difference between the profane and the holy. What is sanctified unto me and what is separated away from me. This is how you treat one another. This is how you worship me. This is how you, this is how you live life. It's the instruction manual. No longer do you have to try to build your toy and go, what do I do with these leftover screws? Because you didn't read the instructions. You're like, oh, I can figure this out. You got a handful of screws going, I don't know where this goes. Oh, oh, I mean, I got to start all over. I can't be the only one that's ever done that, right? I'm the only one. I knew I was the only one that ever did that. Okay, just just for the record. (laughs) Uh, This is God's instruction. This is why for so long for us thinking about this as evil, mean, and nasty law is the wrong way to think about this. And this is why the Jewish people celebrate God giving his instructions for how to live. And they will dance and celebrate. Hallelujah. We don't have to try to figure this out. Isn't that cool? So it's on that great day, this is when Jesus said, I'm gonna, if you come to me, I'm going to give you living water. You see, the timing of him saying it was important. Everything he did, everything he said, every miracle he did when he was walking on this earth was also prophetic, meaningful. Every single thing, nothing was left to chance. Our God doesn't operate like that. Amen? He doesn't leave anything to chance. So I just found that absolutely fascinating and really, really cool. And really, trust me, I'm not this smart to put all this together, to have Zach preach. And I did, I did give him some resources, but I didn't tell him how to, how to go about it and everything. And so he really pulls it all together and talks about how that Jesus, Yeshua was probably born, not just probably, we can pretty much say that he was born during tabernacles. Um, and that we studied that last week. This week we're in Revelation 22 at the end of the book of Revelation dealing with tabernacles Yeshua talking about giving living water at tabernacles and it all surrounding and book with the bookends of the Garden of Eden at the very beginning and the Garden of Eden at the end in heaven with God it's just absolutely amazing and God can really weave all of that together these verses here in Revelation in other words Revelation 22, verse 14 also says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. You see, when you admit and confess that Yeshua is your God and Savior and King, and you accept His gift of salvation, and you follow what He says, then you have gained the right. God says you now have the right. It is His free gift, but it is also now your right to the tree of life. Meaning, nobody is going to take it away from you. Not even God. Isn't that cool? Y'all kind of quiet. Don't make me be the only one excited. Uh, And following with that, in Revelation 22, verse 19, it says, And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. Don't ask me to really explain that, because I really believe in once saved, always saved. I really do, because how do you lose something that was given to you and that you're now grafted into Israel? That's why God is God and I'm not. This is one of those problem parts in Scripture where uh, I believe that it talks about free will and predestination. I believe it's all there. And I believe that once you really have the Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of God. How can God really take that away from you? Well, well, He's God and He can do whatever He wants to do. Amen? Um, I think maybe part of this paradox of it being in Scripture might help keep us accountable. Because if you think, well, all I could do is say some words and actually say that I believe in a historical fact, then that means I get to get in and I can do whatever I want to do. Right? Uh, well, is that gonna re- does that mean you really believe that he's, that he's really your master? If he's your master, would you tell your master, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says then he can't be your master. That's why you can never say, no, Lord. Because if you say, no, Lord, then he's not your Lord. And if, he's your, if he really is your Lord, God, King, Master, you're not going to say, no. Um, so it said, and this statement is also fascinating. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Um, We're going to go through the the Torah readings. Next week, we'll start in Exodus. We'll end up in Deuteronomy. And as the book of Deuteronomy ends, the Torah, the first five books, the books dictated by God to Moses to write. Except for the book of Deuteronomy, it's the summary writing of it all. Okay? As it closes, as the book of Deuteronomy closes, there is the same warning. The warning is, you don't add to or take away from the very Word of God. If you add to or take away from the Word of God, then the plagues written in this book will be added to you. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. In other words, at the closing of those first five books, the Torah, the warning is you don't add to or take away from the very Word of God. And if you add to it or take away from it, the 
the plagues that are written in here are going to be added to you. And if you take away from it, the blessings that are written in here are going to be taken away from you. As we close the book of Revelation, it says you don't add to or take away from the prophecies written in this book because if you do, the plagues that are in here are going to be added to you and the promises given will be taken away from you. Do you think that's in there by accident? Why? Because once again, it's bookends describing the whole Word of God. And the critical issue is you don't add to it or take away from it. You see in verse 7 of chapter 2, it says, He who has an ear, back in chapter 2, sorry, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There is the description once again about it being back in the garden. He's trying to get us back into paradise, perfection. Um, It's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of the garden, out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. And then it's in chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, where he talks about us being driven out. It says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent out from the garden of Eden, uh, sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man and... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we've got this uh, issue of it being um, important about the Word of God and not adding to it or taking away from it. This issue of the water and the tree of life in the original garden, and now it's in the eternal one. And originally we had one because God was our source and the, it, that was it. But because we sinned, God said, well, now I'm going to end up birthing a nation to prove that I'm God and unique among all other gods. And I'm going to have symbols of that issue forever. And you were also going to eat of 12 trees forever. And the fruit of these trees are going to sustain your life. Now, we're not eating Israel. It's a symbol. It's also a reminder we're going to be going, man, we are so blessed. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. You're never going to get tired of saying, I am so blessed. I can't, I've been here 10 million years already, and it seems like yesterday, right? And I still like eating this fruit. And as a matter of fact, next month, that one's really good. 
right? Because it's going to be different each month. But we're also going to walk up and go, yep, he had to birth 12 boys to get us here, didn't he? And why did he do that? He did it because he's different than all the other gods. It has to do with prophecy. If you don't hold on to that, you'll get off track. There's a saying that we need to stay in our lane so we don't cause an accident. You got to learn how to stay in your lane. And when it comes to theology, it means proper hermeneutics. It's the science of how to study Scripture so that you stay in your lane and you don't veer out and cause a wreck. You don't turn before you're supposed to turn. You stay in the striped dots on the road to keep you in your lane. You're going, that way you can go down the highway next to a diesel rig on this side and a smart car on this side in your pickup truck at 70 miles an hour making a turn when there's uh, the barrier on this side and a cutoff shoulder on that side while they're working on it going, I'm doing 70 miles an hour and there's about two and a half feet here and it looks like six inches here. And how does that work? Because of some painted stripes on the road. If they weren't there, and it's bad enough as it is, right? Um, Proper hermeneutics keeps you in the right lane. Throughout all of Scripture, God said, this is how you're going to know that I'm God. This is how it's going to work out. This is how things will transpire. Other people will make prophecies, but they will never be able to do what I do. I'm going to tell you the very end of the matter from the very beginning, and it's going to happen exactly the way I say. Down to the very second, down to the very hour, down to the very time of the year, around the very festival, holidays, everything is going to happen exactly the way I say, exactly this way where nobody else can figure it out. They're like, there's no way this can happen. There's just no, you you can't get there from here. And then on the other side, they're going to go, wow, we didn't see that one coming, did we? Which is what he's done over and over and over and over again. And he said, and I'm going to do it through this nation called Israel. And I'm going to use this little bitty nation that's also stiff-necked and rebellious. And I'm going to divorce them. And I'm going to run them off to the four corners of the world. And then I'm going to come back and die to remove the divorce decree. So that I can remarry them and have 12 tribes. And he's done it. Yeah, clap. Hallelujah. That's what he did. And then I'm going to scatter them all over the world. And then guess what? In a day, I'm going to birth a nation. 1948, it happened. The only time in human history, you need to let that sink in for a second, in human history where a nation was out of its country, language lost everything for 2,000 years, and boom, they're back. That's why Satan is so mad. That's why Satan hates the Jew. That's why anti-Semitism 
is demonic. And I don't care what denomination and what person that claims to be Christian and lets that garbage roll out of their mouth, it is demonic. So he says, in verse 7, he says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I've asked you this before. We've already been here numerous times, but here it is at the end of the book. And it says, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. Does that mean do? How are you going to do the words of this prophecy? Can anybody here do the words of this prophecy? We can't do them, can we? So when, when the Word of God says that if we love Yeshua, we'll keep His commandments, that doesn't mean necessarily do them all, does it? Keep means to guard, watchfully guard, diligently guard, with the intent of following through with it, it means to protect it. It means to consider it authoritative in your life. That's what it means. So here it says, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, uh, it means to keep an eye on, watch, and hence to guard, keep, and obey. Uh, particularly to watch and observe attentively. It means to watch something and to observe it attentively. That means, watch this, pay attention. You ever have to say that to a kid? Why did you look up when I said that? <laughs> you ever have to say, hey, pay attention to me. <clears throat> this is what it means. It means to attentively watch and study something. I'm going to show you something absolutely fascinating about this. So it says, uh, Keeping uh, and keeping an eye on it for the fulfillment of, of a prophecy. This is why in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, I don't think I've got that one up there. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It says, This is how we know that we've really come to know him. This is the proof in our own life that we're, we, are, we are actually in the right position. You don't have to guess. It means if the Word of God is now the authoritative marker in your life, that's how you know. You don't know that you come to know Him because you're in a church. The devil has plenty of his minions in the church. Some of them behind pulpits right now. Why would it not be? Some of them teaching people how to be behind a pulpit. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. And if you're not in the kingdom, that's how it happens. Real short story. Because I went to Criswell College, and I went there because I believed they would teach me how to rightfully divide the Word of God. 
And one of the professors there that I have the utmost respect for was a professor. He had been a pastor for many years, was a professor there teaching men how to be ministers. And in chapel service at the college, got saved. Exactly. Went into the president of the college and handed in his letter of resignation. This is a true story. And the, uh, the president looked up at him and said, what is this? He said, well, it's my resignation. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, I got saved today in chapel. He goes, yeah, I know that. And he goes, I've been a pastor for all these years. I've been teaching men how to be a minister and everything. I wasn't even saved. And he looked up at him. He goes, well, are you saved now? And he goes, yeah. And he said, well, then get back to work. He's a great guy, godly, godly man, humble man. And he told the story and says, I, I, I actually got saved in that chapel service. Well, that meant that before that time, he wasn't in the kingdom. My point is, it happens. And so you can have people standing up and teaching from the Bible and actually saying, well, is that what God really said? Who said that? Satan did. Or here's other ways we can interpret this. You know, you, yeah, you, it, it, all of it doesn't really apply to your life today. You need to be very careful when people are telling you that, when people think that. Nowhere did Jesus do that. Did He take away the Word of God? I mean, over and over and over and over again, all through Scripture. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Malachi, He says, I do not change so that my servant Jacob is not consumed. The reason God doesn't change is because as soon as God starts changing, then we go, well, maybe He's going to change His mind about me. Maybe he's going to change his mind about the path to salvation. Maybe he's going to change his, maybe he's just going to start all over. Maybe, I don't know, maybe none of it's right. But God says, so that you will not be consumed, I don't change. He's not wishy-washy. In, in the book of James, it says there's not even a shifting shadow with God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the words that he gave his people on how to live still apply to our lives. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that God's, watch this, teachings and instructions on how to live don't work anymore. <laughs> it doesn't, it, it, it's nonsensical. When you really start to understand this, you go, that is so nonsensical. To think that God said, well, we don't have to keep the law anymore because he did away with it on the cross. Well, then I guess that means we can lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery and murder and everything else. I mean, oh, no, 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 no. You, you can't do those. You just don't. You're just not supposed to do those Jewish things. It's so ridiculous. Can I get another amen, somebody? It's just ridiculous. It's nonsensical. That's why in heaven, watch this, there's not <laughs> 13 trees. There's 12. There's not one for the 12 tribes of Israel and one more for this new thing called the church. There's 12. 
If you think that it's just one tree, that's okay. But guess what? It puts off 12 kinds of fruit. You can't get around it. There's 12 different kinds of fruit. Doesn't matter if it's just one tree or 12 trees. There's 12 kinds of fruit, 12 foundations, 12 gates, 12 names from the 12 tribes of Israel. That's how you get into the, into the kingdom. That's how you get into the holy city. So it says that we're blessed when we keep these and we're blessed when we do this and we're going to hear this incredible truth that we have been given the right to partake of the tree of life forever. That's good news, isn't it? It is good news. And then I want to show you one other thing here that just in case... It's like God's going, just in case you missed this, I just want to remind you this as I'm closing out the book. This is like just a few sentences before it's all done. And then he, then he also to make sure we understand who's talking. Because we can be so stubborn, right? We can be so stubborn, so hard-headed. And we got all these filters on while we're reading the Word of God. And we think we're reading something that's not there. Anybody ever read a recipe and, and do it wrong? And you, could, you would have bet money that you read it right. And Sonia knows exactly the story that's going through my head because I, I did it the wrong way twice, you know, for her. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not what it says. She goes, read it again, Paul. Uh, well, we do that with the Word of God. So in verse 16, this is fascinating. Now, this is, at the book of the, this is at the end of the book of Revelation, right? This is at the end of the ultimate feast of tabernacles, the culmination story, the culmination feast. In verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, or I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for who? For the churches. In other words, not for the lost people that freak out when the church disappears. Through this pre-tribulation theory. And it's a flimsy theory. This pre-tribulation rapture theory. That the church is going to get zapped out of here. Clothes are going to fall from the heavens. Planes are going to crash. And all that weirdness that Hollywood does because the church is going to get raptured out of here and that's how we're going to scare the Jews into the kingdom. That's pretty much how it's built. That's when the Jews will go, oh no, we were wrong. We need to ask Jesus to be our Savior. Here he says, I sent my servant, my angel to John to reveal this to you about all these things for the churches. That's why it says in here, blessed are you if you keep these words. Do you find it strange after looking at this that most Christians don't want to really study the book of Revelation? Because it's too scary, because you can't understand it, because it's got all this weird stuff in there. And guess what? It doesn't really apply to us because we're not going to be here. Kid you not. Why would you study it if you're not going to be here? 
Well, why would Jesus tell us in Matthew that we need to be looking for the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and that's how you know when to flee if you're not here? Why would he tell us to look for it? Why would he go through all this trouble to reveal all this stuff to us if we're not going to be here? That doesn't even make sense, does it? It's, once again, nonsensical if you just use your brain and actually turn it on and think and ask just a simple question. Why would Jesus, why would Yeshua tell us to look for something and to be diligent about it if we're not even going to be here? Why would he go through all this trouble to give us all this information in the book of Revelation if we're not even going to be here? Why would he say specifically, this is for the church? This isn't for the lost people. This is for my people. Because the word church means congregation called out ones separate unto God. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And I'm going to close with this. This is why this issue at the, at the uh, top up here where it says <clears throat> in verse 2 once again about this tree. And it says, and its leaves are for the healing of the nation. That word healing there has a sense of well-being. The leaves of the trees are for the well-being of the nations. And if you will, the cure, which is what it says in the New Jerusalem Bible, the cure for the nations. Why would he need to put that in there? Because I think forever we're going to look at this tree or trees. I think it's trees. We're going to look at this and go, he did it with 12 boys. This is a real thing. And this is why the Apostle Paul said we were grafted into it. We didn't replace it or supplant it. We were grafted into it. And that we don't support the root, but the root supports us. And that we're going to look at that and go, This, watch this, this is how God, who disinherited the nations, and they were given to these other fallen angelic beings that rebelled, and in Psalm 82, he says, because you did these things, I will now make it to, you were were gods, eternal, but now because of what you did, you're going to die like mortal men. And he gave all the other nations to all these other gods. And he says, but I'm going to have this one nation that is my inheritance. And I'm going to win all the nations back by grafting them into my nation. My inheritance. My prophecy. My plan for salvation. And as we look at it, we're going to remember this was God's plan and there never was to be a separation between His people, Jew and Gentile. That's even nonsensical because Gentile is goim of the nations. That's what it means, of the nations. You really can't be a believer in God and be a goim. Do you realize that? That doesn't work. You're either grafted into Israel and have become Hebrew, which means 
one who has crossed over. That's why Jesus and Paul talks about, listen, if you're a true child of Abraham, you're going to do the things Abraham did. They're like, Abraham's our father. He's part of our seed. They're like, Paul goes, look, it's not those that are just of the flesh that are really his children, but it's the children of the promise, and we've been grafted in. So just because you got Hebrew blood flowing through your veins doesn't mean you're getting in. But it does mean that God could use you as part of the prophecy to prove that He's God. Can you see the differentiation there? One is physical, the other is eternal. And there was never to be a separation between the two. That's why in Numbers it says, there's one law for both, the native born and the sojourner who is attached to you. And the sojourner that decides to attach himself to Israel is to be treated like a natural born citizen by the natural Hebrew. No longer different. That's why in the New Testament it says there's now no longer Jew or Gentile, Greek or anything. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, we're all one in Yeshua. That's what it's describing. And that's why it says here there's going to be this, these, I think, 12 trees. And the leaves, of the, in other words, the leaves, the growing of the tree is going to be our, it is our cure. For our problem of going, and it's these Jews, da 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 da, blah, 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 blah. now he's got the church, they were rebellious, they killed the Messiah, now he's giving it to us. All of that is garbage, anti Christ, demonic, bad theology. And watch this bad theology is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not getting some demon out of you. Real, the real heart of spiritual warfare is dealing with bad doctrine. And what we were studying yesterday about the statement of the, Yeshua will come back when, at the fullness of the Gentiles. That means the maturity. It doesn't mean numerical. The fullness of the Gentiles means when, when we have become mature. What do you think that would mean? <laughs> it would mean the fulfillment of prophecy like it talks about in the Old Testament when it says the Gentile nations will finally say we've inherited lies from our fathers and worshiping things that are not God and we will return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and actually follow what he said in his word. And I'm telling you that you are here today because God is maturing us and fulfilling his prophecy at the very end of time, and that this is what is bringing the, gen the, the, the Hebrew people around to jealousy. They are looking at us as an anomaly, and we are not the only ones. This is global what God is doing. It's happening everywhere. It's happening to individuals. It's happening to groups. And it's an anomaly. The Muslims don't know what to do with us. The Jews don't know what to do with us. The Baptists don't know what to do with us. 
The regular Christian people don't know what to do with us. They're like, what do you mean? Are you Jewish? What are you doing celebrating Hanukkah? Is that Jewish? When did you become Jewish? And my reply is, I became Jewish, you know, that was in Romans chapter 11, I think, when we were grafted in. Do we celebrate the feast? Yeah, because it was his birthday. And for a thousand years, he says, if you don't do it during the millennial kingdom, I'm going to withhold rain from your land. We're going to be required to keep the feast during the millennial kingdom. Duh. We're going to worship him on the Sabbath. Duh. We're going to worship him from new moon to new moon. Duh. Guess what? We're actually going to quit following the Gregorian calendar that the world said, do it this way, when God said, no, do it this way. I'm going to put the sun and the moon in the heavens for seasons so you'll know when to meet with me. And so in the millennial kingdom, he says, you're going to come back to my system, not your system. And guess what? God is not going to mix our system with his. He says, I'm going to purge everything out from you that is keeping you from following me. There's not going to be anything fun about that. But when it's all said and done, folks, this is where we'll be. Something kind of like this. And because we'll be like Yeshua, it says we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. We'll see him face to face. Peter did it. Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we be able to also walk on water? No reason. No reason. And that that would become commonplace. The miraculous today at that point will become commonplace. The beautiful, the serene, the tranquility, the peacefulness will become commonplace. No more war, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more boring food, nothing but peace, wholeness, fullness, maturity, goodness, and being with our God and King forever, walking with Him, talking with Him without fear of death, That's the heaven that's waiting for us. That's what he's given us in his book. And he wrote this incredible love story and says, I'm going to put a book in right here. I'm going to put a book in right here. And right in the middle, I'm going to send my Messiah. And right on his birthday, I'm going to have him speak something about that feast of Sukkot and the living water at the very end of the final Sukkot the fulfillment of it all. And when, you, when you're eating of that fruit and taking in of that water, you're going to remember all these things and go, man, our God is an awesome, awesome God, is He not? Our Elohim is above all others. There will no longer be any other fallen Elohim. There will no longer be any other devils or demons. There will be no more evil. It says all the dogs, the sorcerers, liars, all those things will be outside, meaning gone. Because we'll be on the new heaven and the new earth. 
and everything else will be outside of the new heaven and new earth and gone. That's good news, amen? That's the God that loves you so much that we're about to meet Him face to face. Loves you so much that He provided a way for us to do that. And He's brought us this far. And He'll see us safely home. Our God is faithful and just. And He who began a good work in us is faithful enough to complete it and follow through to the very end to our very salvation. Amen.